If you have your Bibles, please turn to our passage for today. Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 to 17. Um, We're in the third section of the book of Exodus. It's the story of the tabernacle. Last week, uh, we learned about the tabernacle, um, God's instructions, the elements in it, and uh, yeah, what, what, what it was all about. Uh, as a sanctuary, as a tent of meeting. And we're continuing in the story of the tabernacle. And we're actually going to uh, see God's instruction for worship and Sabbath uh, for his people. And so, uh, trusting that you are there, um, may God bless the reading of his holy word. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me And you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy unto the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord. It is no secret that our culture has made an idol of work. We've made an idol of work and Unfortunately, we've come to associate work with our significance and even our self-worth. We glamorize those who seem to be grinding and hustling and succeeding relentlessly. The Elon Musks, the Steve Jobs, the Kobe Bryants of our culture. Hashtag Mamba mentality, right? This is why so many of us don't hesitate to tell people when we've had long and arduous work weeks. When you put in that 60, 70, 80 hours of work, you don't hesitate uh, to tell people about it. We don't hesitate to tell people how busy we are, how packed our schedules are. It is seen as a badge of honor, and it's a way we can communicate our significance. As our young people might say, it's a flex, right? It's a flex or a humble brag. Some people are so gripped by the idol of work that we are even tempted to exaggerate how much we do or how much we've studied because we don't want to be seen as lazy or idle. Several years ago, there was an article in the New York Times titled, In Silicon Valley, Working 9 to 5 is for Losers. In Silicon Valley, Working 9 to 5 is for Losers and no one wants to be seen as a loser. But this addiction to work is taking a toll on us, not only here in America, but across the world. The Japanese have a phrase called karoshi, karoshi, which means death by work, death by work. You know it's bad uh, when you have a name for it. You know a a storm is bad when it gets a name. You know it's, it's a serious issue when we name it. In 2013, a 31-year-old Japanese journalist logged in 159 hours of overtime in a month before dying of heart failure. A 31-year-old person has no reason to die of heart failure. 
In 2015, a 24-year-old Japanese employee committed suicide after putting over 100 hours of overtime in a single month. And her company was fined just $5,000 for overworking their employee. There's a growing movement in Asia and here in the U.S. to try and get people to prioritize rest, to prioritize relaxation and renewal in their lives. The sad thing is that we, we shouldn't need a book or a hashtag or a TED Talk telling us how much we need rest, how important sleep and renewal is in our lives. God has known this all along. Since the beginning of creation, God has given us the Sabbath so that we would not only remember him, but also rest in him. That we would be able to receive from him all that we need for true flourishing. Jesus reminds us in the Gospel of Mark that man was not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for man. And my hope through this message is that we would see not only what it looks like to honor the Sabbath, but that we would come to know all that God has intended to give us in the Sabbath. All that God wants to provide for us in the Sabbath as we remember it and keep it holy. Today, as we consider the Sabbath, we're going to look at three things. The origin of it, the origin of the Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath, and finally, the power of the Sabbath. So the origin, the purpose, and the power of the Sabbath. And woven throughout the message, I'll try and provide some practical applications on how we can better keep the Sabbath, how we are called to keep the Sabbath. Now, if you do a Christian study on the Sabbath, you will soon quickly find that there are three general camps and interpretations on how Christians are called, how we in the new covenant are called to obey the fourth commandment. That fourth commandment is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And the first camp will argue that Christians, that for Christians, Sunday is the new Sabbath. It is the new Sabbath and we are required to keep it in the fullest manner possible. Okay, this is the only group with a cool name. They're called Sabbatarians. Okay, they're called Sabbatarians. It kind of sounds like a diss, right? You're a Sabbatarian. Um, but they are Sabbatarians. And so for this camp, truly, it is a sin to work. It is wrong to cause others to work. And so that means you don't go out to eat because people will be cooking for you and serving you. No entertainment, no chores, no studying, no labor of any kind. The whole day absolutely belongs to the Lord. And to deviate from that practice is sin. I don't think too many of us here are Sabbatarians. Uh, you know, we, we stroll in with our Starbucks coffee. We go out and eat in House of Joy or wherever it might be, and we'll go catch a movie in the evening and things like that. Um, but, but there are Christians, conservative Christians, Reformed Christians even, who really honor and practice the Sabbath in this devout manner. The second camp is the opposite. It's the opposite of the Sabbatarian. It argues that the Sabbath has no binding on the Christian because Jesus has done away with Sabbath obligations. In the new covenant of Christ, there are biblical reasons for this. You can still take Sunday seriously, but it's not because of the fourth commandment. Okay? It's not because of the fourth commandment. And in the third camp, it's a bit of a middle way. It's a middle way, arguing that Christians are still required to keep the Sabbath. 
Just as we are required to keep the rest of the Ten Commandments, we do not believe that this fourth commandment alone is abrogated from the New Testament. It's not dismissed and done away with. Jesus didn't come to dissolve the law, do away with the law. Rather, he came to fulfill it. He came to fulfill it for us. But in a new manner, because we are members of the new covenant, because of Jesus Christ, we practice the Sabbath differently. Obviously, I'm going to argue for this third way, right? We're going to argue for the third way. And the first reason why we should honor the Sabbath as Christians is because it isn't rooted just in the Ten Commandments. It's rooted in creation, okay? The call to honor the Sabbath, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, it doesn't begin in Sinai. It begins in Eden. In verse 17 of our passage, God tells Israel, It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Before the law was given, God modeled the Sabbath for his people when he created the heavens and the earth. And it wasn't because God was tired after creating. It wasn't because he needed rest after creating. He did it for us. He did it to model rest for us. He knew that we would need it. He was setting an example, a rhythm, a pattern for us. If you remember the creation accounts, Adam was created on the sixth day. And just think about this. It's very profound. And the first day, the very next day after he was created, what did he do? He rested. He rested in the Lord. He rested with the Lord. And that should be a very profound image for us. Imagine going into work, a new job. You're really excited. You've got a lot of responsibilities. The job description is very specific. And the first thing your boss tells you to do, rest. Ooh, what kind of boss is this? Is this a trick? Right? Are you testing me? Are you telling me to rest, but you really want me to hustle? Right? That's so disorienting for us. And yet this was God's pattern for Adam. Creates him on the sixth day, and on the seventh day, he rests. He rests in the Garden of Eden. He enjoys the shalom of God. The Sabbath was not invented by Moses, and it was not only to be observed by Israel. It was to be practiced by all of creation, going back to Genesis. This is why, before the Ten Commandments are issued in Exodus 20, God forbids Israel from collecting manna on the seventh day in Exodus 16. So already Sabbath practices and patterns and principles are being given to Israel prior to the law, prior to the Ten Commandments. God says, six days you will gather manna, but on the seventh day you shall not. Right? On the sixth day, you will gather a double portion. And God himself only provided manna six out of the seventh day. He didn't give manna on the seventh day and then just tested Israel. He says, you guys aren't going to work. I'm not working either. I'm not giving you manna either. Right? God set that for Israel. The principle and rhythm of rest was already in place. Pastor and theologian Kevin DeYoung, he makes a great observation on this in his book on the Ten Commandments. He notes that the entire concept of the seventh day week, seven day week, comes from the Bible. Okay? Uh, a day is measured scientifically by the earth's rotation on its axis. Right? So by nature and astronomy, not astrology, an astronomy, right? we know what a day is. 
right, as the earth rotates once. A month is gauged more or less by the lunar, uh, by the lunar cycle, okay? A year is measured by the earth revolving around the sun, okay? But a seven-day work week, or seven-day week, is scientifically arbitrary. It's absolutely arbitrary. According to nature, we should only have days, months, and years. But a week is what it is because God made it that way. A week is what it is because God made it this way. He accomplished his work in six days and he rested on the seventh. And that is a principle all of us are called to follow. Okay, this next comment is for our resident Bible scholars, a.k.a. Um, Bible geeks. Okay, um, Because I want to talk about the structure of Exodus. The structure of Exodus right here. And, and I hope you'll stick with me. One thing that's fascinating about the book of Exodus is that it, in so many sections, it beautifully parallels the book of Genesis. And one dominant theme in Exodus is the theme of recreation. Genesis is all about creation. In Exodus, we see recreation. We see it in the plagues. And we see it here at Mount Sinai. Just as God spoke all things into being in the beginning, we see that God is creating right, a people for himself in the nation of Israel. And here in the story of the tabernacle, there is a beautiful creation parallel. Do you guys remember in Genesis chapter 1 how God created? Each day began with God speaking creation into being. He said, let there be, let there be lights. And that was, that, that, that's how God created. That was the refrain. Each creative act was accomplished by the phrase, let there be. Well, in Exodus chapter 25 to 31, the story of the tabernacle, we have six speeches of God that are set off by the phrase, then the Lord said. Then the Lord said, and each speech contains God's instructions on how to build the tabernacle, which was a symbol of heaven on earth. And in our passage today, the teaching on the Sabbath, we have the seventh speech. And it's a speech on rest. Exodus repeats the creation account with six speeches to build the tabernacle. And then one speech to rest. Six in one. A new creation is taking place in the story of the tabernacle. And what's even more fascinating is that next week we're going to, we're going to see Israel's sin. Right, their idolatry with the golden calf. And that parallels the fall of Adam and Eve out of Eden, being expelled out of Eden. And then the week after that, we're going to see Israel's restoration as Moses intercedes on their behalf. Another Genesis theme. And so at the end of Exodus, here in this tabernacle story, we have the arc of creation, fall, and redemption. Creation, fall, and redemption. Okay. The Bible people should be like, right? Anyways, um, I thought that was cool. I thought that was cool. That's our first point for today, though. The origin of the Sabbath doesn't begin with Moses. It doesn't begin at Sinai. It's rooted in creation. It's not just for Israel. It's for all of us. It's for all of creation to experience, to practice. We were made with this rhythm in mind, six and one, six and one, work and rest. In 1929, Joseph Stalin, in his desire to increase the Russian national productivity, he abolished the seven-day work week. 
Okay, he abolished the seven-day work week where Russians were working six days and resting on the seventh. Instead, he mandated a continuous work week. A continuous work week because he would see his factories. He would see his workers not working on one day and that frustrated him. He thought, man, we are falling behind. We can actually get ahead of the other nations if we outwork them. If we go to a continuous work cycle, we will get ahead. And so he instituted this in 1929 so that the factories and the machines would constantly be working. There would always be 80% of the workforce working. And then he created these different rotations to give people rest. But they were all falling on different days and, 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 and crazy schedules. The Russians tried to create different iterations of this to make Make this model work for 11 years only to see productivity fall. Increased machine failure, lowered morale, widespread unrest among the citizens. One account says that there's borderline anarchy because of this continuous work week model. In 1940, the project was abandoned and the seven-day work week was reinstated. Brothers and sisters, God's ways are not only higher than ours, they're better than ours. You cannot outthink God. You cannot map out a better pathway to human flourishing than God. And so what is the purpose of the Sabbath? What is the purpose of the Sabbath? In verses 13 and 14, our passage, in our passage, God tells his people, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Sanctify means to make holy, to set apart. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. And then in verse 16, God declares, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. Here we see that the purpose of the Sabbath is not just for physical rest. It's for spiritual renewal. It's for spiritual renewal. The Sabbath was given to Israel as a covenant sign. Okay? And uh, Pastor DC, as he was uh, inviting us, inviting you to consider baptism and confirmation class, he reminded us covenant signs are outward expressions of inward realities. Okay? Outward expressions of inward realities. So the outward expression for Israel is, on the seventh day, worship me, gather together, cease from work, remember the Lord. The inward reality is that Israel is God's covenant people. Right? They are the treasured possession of God. It's who they are. They have been saved and delivered by God's mighty hand. They are his covenant people. And so the Sabbath is a weekly reminder of this relationship. Just like a wedding anniversary, the Sabbath reminds Israel of who they are and whose they are. Right? Who they are and whose they are. Uh, for me, uh, I'm kind of anti-Valentine's Day. But I know, and, and my wife's kind of okay with this, right? I need to be better, especially because Seth is watching his dad now. Um, but I know one thing's for sure. I cannot be anti-anniversary, right? I can be like, oh, you know, what, Valentine's is so commercial. It's so crazy. You can't get a decent, you know, uh, restaurant reservation. That's one thing. But for me to protest our wedding anniversary, that's trouble, right? That's bad. That's unhealthy, okay? The Sabbath reminds Israel of who they are and whose they are. And as the people sanctify the Sabbath, 
as they keep it holy, as they set it apart, God says, I will sanctify you. God sanctifies them. And that God's people were called to remember the Sabbath forever in perpetuity, right? The lawyers are like, yeah, that's a powerful word, right? If any contract has in perpetuity in it, that's a strong statement. This is yet another reason why I still believe that Christians are called to obey the fourth commandment. Deuteronomy 15, or 5.15 reinforces this idea of Sabbath remembrance. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In the Sabbath, Israel remembered where they came from. They came from Egypt, out of slavery. In the Sabbath, Israel remembered how they were saved by the mighty hand and outstretched arm of the Lord. And in the Sabbath, they remembered who they were as the covenant, beloved, treasured people of God. And as they do this, they remember it is God who sanctifies them. It is God who has set them apart. It is God who has appointed them and approved them and called them. So it's not that Israel is making God holy on the Sabbath. It's actually the other way around. Okay? It's not that we make God holy on the Sabbath. It's actually that God is making his people holy. He is reminding us that we are a treasured, beloved, called people. He is setting his people apart. Brothers and sisters, as members of Christ's new covenant, we experience the same thing. The gospel is our exodus story. It is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you and I have been delivered from our sin. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have been saved by grace through faith. Church, I cannot stress this enough. Keeping the Sabbath, it's not just a religious ritual. It's highly relational. It's so relational. For, every, for us, every Sunday is our anniversary of the Exodus story. Every Sunday is an opportunity to celebrate the gospel of God, the gospel of grace in our lives, in our church, and for this world. Every Sunday is a covenant renewal. It is a covenant sign for us where we remember that God is our God and we are his people and that we are bought by the blood of the lamb. Now, for those who are married, how do you honor your spouse during your wedding anniversary? Or maybe for those who are not married, how do you honor your friends right? at a birthday? How do you honor your friends maybe at a wedding? I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't come unprepared. We don't show up late. We don't spend the whole meal looking at our phones. It's your anniversary and you're like, hey, babe, I just got to, you know, Lakers are playing and, you know, it's, it's crunch time. We just locked the playoffs down. and we, we don't do that when we're with our spouses, with our beloved. We don't tap our feet waiting to leave so we can get on to the next thing. It's a great way to dishonor a friend at their birthday. Be like, hey, when is this going to end? Because I'm going to meet up with better friends later tonight. Right? Instead, we are present. We give them our full attention. We listen to their words. We express our love 
and affection to them as we are with them in that moment, right? in that relationship. This is what it means to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. In the Hebrew, Sabbath literally means to cease, right? to cease, to stop. So we do not labor. We do not work. We set aside a day, not just an hour on Sunday. The whole day belongs to him. We make it a priority in our schedules so that we can worship the Lord and be with him. Even when we're on vacation, we seek for places to worship. We should look for churches on Sunday. Just because you're on vacation doesn't mean you're on vacation from God. right? If you're in Hawaii, I know some great churches there. If you're in New York, Portland, there are churches everywhere. And we should take these as opportunities to even take our children. When we're on vacation, we still honor the Sabbath. We still go to church. God is our God on vacation and and here at home, right? What a powerful witness that is. What a beautiful model that is. Or what are we teaching our children? What are we practicing? When we're like, hey, I'm on vacation, I'm not going to church. This is the dual purpose of the Sabbath, to cease, to rest, right? but to also worship, to worship and be present with our God as a sign to us and to our families that we are the people of God. Now, this is kind of a silly illustration. Uh, so about once a month, I meet with the uh, KM leaders of All, All Nations Ulmity, and we discuss our interdependence, our partnership, how to bless one another and promote mutual flourishing. And uh, at our recent meetings, I've been bringing up parking. Because raise your hand if parking is a bummer here. Yeah, it's a bummer, isn't it? And so I'll ask. I'll ask Pastor Tay and the elders. I'll be like, hey, are you guys getting complaints about parking? Because I'm getting so many complaints about parking. And they're like, nope. I'm like, wait, they have 2,000 people. How do 2,000 adults not complain about parking? But here, our group of, you know, I don't have to say our number. But, um. But we're like dying of parking. I hear stories of people like doing two loops around and they just leave, right? Leave in disgust. Like, I tried to honor the Sabbath, but the Sabbath wouldn't honor me, right? And so like we left, right? So I hear these kinds of stories. And so I'm like, this is a major issue. We need to create space. We need to do something. But for the Korean church, they're like, what are you talking about? And then I realized, I was like, Pastor Tay, like, what time do your members normally come to church for 930 service? Like, oh yeah, 915. I was like, oh, so you know why parking's not an issue for the KM? Because they beat you to all the spots, <laughs> right? They honor the Sabbath. They're early, not just on time, right? And, they, and, and it's a wide open parking lot. We have 19 acres here on this camping. So they're like sliding in left and right. And here we are rolling in at 940 and we can't find a spot, right? This is no gospel. It's all works, right? <laughs> this is works righteousness, right? But... Um, so uh, my, my encouragement, come on time, you will, you will find a spot. And, and here's the other exhortation. If we want to get Onnidi to um, be a little more proactive about part finding parking solutions, if we take up all the spots, <laughs> right, if we take the spots and then they start circling, they'll do something about it, right? But as long as they take all the spots and we are circling, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that had nothing to do with the gospel ministry. It's all law, guys. It's all works. Works righteousness. Um, growing up, I used to go on a lot of mission trips. Um, and I loved going on mission trips. And uh, 
later, as, as I became older, I, I tried to process why. What's so special about a mission trip, whether it's to Mexico, whether it's to Asia, to Africa, Latin America? And, um, and, and I realized why I enjoyed mission trips so much. And it's because while on a mission trip, I had the opportunity to wake up each morning with one purpose, right? To love God and to love his people. And then spend each hour, each minute of every day to focus all of my energy, all of my resources on the Lord and his work. And then go to sleep at night, exhausted but fulfilled because I spent that entire day for him. And that just enriched me, that refreshed me, that blessed me. Whether it was a three-day trip or a two-week trip or a two-month trip, it was just such an amazing gift to be able to devote all of my time and all of my energy and all of my focus upon the Lord and upon his work and not have to think about work not to think about school, not have to think about any of the stresses of this world and just only focus on him. But then when I came back and I realized, well, that's romantic and beautiful and that's a privilege, but that's not the life pattern that I have here back at home. I had to go to school, right? I had to go to work, right? But on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath, you have this opportunity to wake up in the morning and to live the entire day for him and for his people. You can spend each moment of this day using all of your resources for God's kingdom and go to sleep at night and say, this day was the Lord's. All of my time, all of my energy, my life today was lived for God. And then we go back into Monday and, 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 and go to the calling and the places that God's placed us, given us, whether it's in work, whether it's in school, whether it's in home. But there's a blessing to that, to devote not just an hour on a Sunday, not just a moment on a Sunday, but to devote this entire day. Brothers and sisters, there's a blessing for you. There is refreshment for you. The Lord rested on the seventh day and was refreshed. Once again, this is anthropomorphic language and it's not because he needed renewal, it's for you. It's a pattern. God wants to refresh you and he wants you to live this day to its fullest in him and for him. This leads us into our second point, or third point, the power of the Sabbath, the power of the Sabbath. The power of the Sabbath is that it offers us true rest. It offers us true rest that we desperately need. And when we find this fully in Jesus Christ, who in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, he says these beautiful, famous words to us. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 2, 17 tells us that the Sabbath is a shadow of things to come. And Christ is the substance of that. Jesus tells us that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he is the one who fills out the substance of the the Sabbath. In Hebrews 4, 
we are called to enter into the rest of God. And this rest isn't momentary. It's not just one day out of the week. It is an eternal rest that is promised for all of God's people who put their faith in him. We are invited into the true promised land of God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. The power of the Sabbath is that God, through the gospel, offers us true rest. Now, there's this tendency for us to think of rest as vacation. We think of rest as relaxation and just time off. But as soon as you start thinking biblically about rest, you realize that that's not it. Okay? That's not it. You realize that that's not what God is talking about. Okay? Our ceasing from work doesn't capture the fullness, the fullness of what Sabbath is. It's a shadow. It points to the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is how Jesus uses the Sabbath throughout the Gospels. There's always three things we see. First, Jesus always observes the Sabbath. He doesn't skip out. He doesn't say, hey, this new covenant time, I'm not going to synagogue. Right? He always goes to the synagogue. He always goes to the temple. He observes the Sabbath. Second, when Jesus teaches on the Sabbath, he liberates the Sabbath from legalism. One of the issues, one of the major problems that the Pharisees and the Jews had was they added all of these laws on how to observe the Sabbath. They were adding all of these laws, how to keep it holy, everything you can do, everything you cannot do. And it was tedious and it was laborious and it was legalistic saying that if you obeyed, then you would be approved and accepted by God, and if you did not, you would be rejected, and you would be cast out. Jesus liberates the Sabbath from legalism. And thirdly, he never hesitated to use the Sabbath for good. He heals on the Sabbath to the detest of the Pharisees. He performs miracles on the Sabbath to the detest of the Pharisees. But Jesus teaches us the Sabbath is not merely a day to cease, it's a day to serve. It is a day to serve and do good. Brothers and sisters, this is not a shameless plug for Chapel of the Hills. I know in our hearts we want to do more justice. We want to care for the poor. We want to minister to the homeless and the lost. We want to. We know that there's a value. We know it's good. We know it's a blessing. We know it's a reflection of our kingdom citizenship. But we also say we don't have much time. We don't have opportunity. We don't have availability. But on the Lord's day, we should. On the Lord's day, if this whole day is the Lord's, you can. You can serve the poor today. You can minister to the sick today. You can evangelize to the lost today. We have that opportunity, Chapel of the Hills. What other opportunities might God be giving you to use the Sabbath to do good, to serve the people that God has placed on your heart, to seize the opportunities that God gives you as a priesthood of all believers here in the church? Even more so, we see that the Sabbath is this beautiful balance and this this marriage of work and rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, right? It is my, take, it, my, my, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. So there is rest offered to us, but there's also something for us to carry. There's a life that must be lived. 
And when we die and breathe our last here in life, we will be ushered into the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus promises to us. And when we're living in the new earth, we are going to enter into the eternal rest of Jesus Christ. The eternal rest of God's kingdom. But once again, when we're living on the new earth, we're not just going to be floating around singing, strumming harps, right? And just doing church all day. We're going to be working. We're going to be living. It's going to be a restoration and a perfection of the Garden of Eden. Adam was placed in the garden to work. To have authority and dominion over creation. And this was in the midst of God's shalom. In the midst of rest with the Lord. And the same is for us in the new heavens and the new earth. We will enjoy the eternal rest from God. And at the same time, we will be living and working and producing and creating and enjoying. And so Sabbath rest. God's rest offered to us, it's not just relaxation. It's not just a spiritual vacation. It points to something deeper. The real rest for us is not merely taking a day off of work. It's not merely taking a day off from studying. It's to unyoke ourselves from the idol of work. From uh, striving to try and earn the approval of man. It's to unyoke and liberate ourselves from trying to justify ourselves before God, to try and make ourselves right. So many of us strive and we try to pursue our own sense of justification and self-righteousness. And in Christ, Jesus says, it is finished. You don't have to strive anymore. The kingdom is not something that you and I are to earn by our labor and by our sacrifice and by our service. The kingdom is received as a gift. The kingdom is ushered in and established by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we need to turn away from the idol of work. We need to stop placing our security in our work, in our accomplishments, in our success. We need to fight the temptation to place our identity in our work. We need to be guarded from boasting in our success and being crushed by our failures. What the Sabbath offers us is what the gospel provides for us. How many of you here today brought Monday into church? How many of you are are thinking about your jobs, your projects at school, your obligations, your responsibilities? How many of us are already using Sunday to to, to plan and to map out everything that you have to do and, and you've come trying to worship, but that's still lingering. There's tension. It's in the back of your mind. And so even when we come into the presence of God, we're bringing our work here. We're bringing our work here and we are distracted and we're not enjoying the full rest that God has given us. It's no secret for me and our staff here at All Nations, Sunday is a work day, right? It's a work day for us. It's our most important work day, without a doubt, right? And the challenge for me is how do I work out of my rest, okay? Out of my rest versus, you know, just resting from our work. That's what we tend to do. We just work six days and then take a break. And then we work six more days and then take a break. Well, well, that, 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 that's actually a rat race, right, guys? 
We're like, ah, can I work four days and rest three, right? Can I work three days and rest four? That, that would be a better pattern. If that's all it is, then 24 hours isn't really going to provide all that we need, right? But God has called us to work from our rest. On the Sabbath, to receive from God, to be refreshed by God, to be renewed by God, and our communion with him, and then go out into work as commissioned, called, empowered, blessed people. That's the pattern. Day one for Adam, rest, and then work. That's the same for us. Sunday is the first day of the week for us. We rest in Christ and then we go out as commissioned people. But friends, it is difficult for me. I recently realized that um, I am a terrible Sabbath keeper. I'm a terrible Sabbath keeper. I'm called to stand here and preach as a person fully approved and justified by God. I'm called to fear the Lord, not fear men. I'm called to remember that I am secure and beloved in Christ. That as I faithfully serve him, the Lord will look upon me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But recently there's been a lot of Sundays where I'm driving down the 210 back home and I've been discontent. I've been frustrated. I've been dissatisfied. And it wasn't until I um, prepped this message that I realized why. I even had a long heart-to-heart with D.C., Right? And he was worried about me. He was like, Michael, are you okay? And he doesn't want me to burn out and, and, and anything like that. And, and I realized I'm not keeping the Sabbath. I'm not keeping the Sabbath. And it's not because I'm not taking days off. I take Monday's a great family day and, and yada, yada, yada. It's not because I'm not taking days off. It's because on the Lord's day, as I'm worshiping him and serving him, I'm not resting in him. I'm not ceasing from my own striving. I'm finding my identity in my performance. I'm finding my security in your approval. People are visiting our church, and my question is, are you going to come back? And if you don't come back, I'm going to take it personally. Out of my insecurity, it means, oh, they don't like me. What do I need to say? What do I need to do? What do I need to wear to try to get people to like us? Here at All Nations, what problems do I need to fix so that people will love our church and enjoy our church? X, Y, and Z. And and I realized these things were haunting me. These things were burdening me. And by thinking in this manner, out of my vanity, out of treating church and ministry as work, not out of my identity in Christ and the gospel, I have been dishonoring the Sabbath. God is calling me to rest in him. And God is calling me to serve out of that rest that he provides. Out of that security that he provides. Brothers and sisters, that same call is for you. That same call is for you. To work out of your rest. And to truly enter into the rest of God where through Jesus Christ, you are fully saved by grace. That because of the power of the gospel, your sins are cast out as far as the east is from the west. There's no way to make God love you anymore. There's no way to make God justify you anymore. The full righteousness of Christ is yours. We, as the people of God, are clothed in his righteousness, justified by grace through faith. 
You are fully adopted and accepted in Jesus. And that should give you rest. That should give you rest. Is that doing that for you? Our passage closes, and I need to close right now. The penalty of breaking the Sabbath was death. And the reason for this is because if you do not honor the Sabbath, you're dishonoring your whole relationship with him. You're saying, God, I don't need this covenant. I don't need this relationship. I don't need this sign. I don't need this promise. I don't need you. And so the punishment was death. But the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for us Sabbath breakers. As we have dishonored the Sabbath in so many ways, shapes, and forms, Jesus Christ pays that penalty for us. But our response is not to simply say, thank you, Jesus, and go on breaking the Sabbath, living the rest of our lives. No, for those who have been truly touched by grace, Jesus says, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. May we be a church that honors the Sabbath and keeps it holy. May we be a church where every Sunday we have this covenant renewal where we remember who we are in Christ and we celebrate the joy, the privilege, and life in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of rest. We confess that in so many ways we have failed and refused to rest. Would you free us Would you free us from this addiction? Would you free us from this idolatry? Would you remind us of Jesus' great words that it is finished? Father, would would you speak words of life and grace into our hearts? For anyone here who is not sure of where they stand in relationship to you, for anyone here who feels burdened and overwhelmed by their guilt and their failure, would you show them the beauty of Jesus and the power of the cross. For those of us here who are burnt out, for those of us here who are anxious and restless, help us, Lord, to experience your your abiding and eternal rest. Help us to taste and see that you truly are good. Help us to, to come into your house today to lay down and surrender all of our stress and anxiety and trust that you truly do have the world in your hands. You you have our life in your hands. Help us to believe and help us to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.